Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Last week we talked about familiar spirits and dealing with those, undercutting those in our life, heading those things off at the past. And I want to go into a deeper dive on that. I want us to understand this whole concept. It might strike you as weird. Why is he preaching about familiar spirits? Why is he up there preaching about the demonic? Because we need to know how to deal with it. And uh, so let me read you something, if I can find it real quick here. I, uh, it was, let me see here. It was the last weekend of November of this year, of last year rather. Yeah, I'm speaking prophetically. It will be the last that got, no, uh, I can't find it. Anyway, the Lord, I woke up to a vision uh, that early that morning. I get up early on Saturdays. I almost get up as early as Jean. And, uh, but uh, I get up early and, and that morning I had a vision of a man and the Lord, I knew he was a witness. He was a blessed man. And he was climbing over a fence with a ferocity and excitement facing the future. And the Lord told me he was, he was a man that was blessed. That was his message. That's who he was. He was blessed to be a blessing. And it was the nature of the kingdom in the time we're coming into. And he was climbing over the limit, yesterday's limitations, the fence lines that one, once held him in. He was expanding his boundary lines. And uh, the Lord told me that morning that that's the reason he's released this song that we started with this morning, The Blessing. That this is a time for the children of God to be blessed. That this time of global upheaval and all that's going on, when everybody's wondering what the future holds, what it holds for you and I, and the kingdom of God is blessing. And we need to understand that. And so I'd forgotten about that. And uh, so I've been talking about the expansion of our territory and that when, as we expand, it's going to place a new demand upon us. And so as I was thinking about that last night, it really struck me that uh, that is the very thing the Lord talked to me about in November, that that is the nature of the kingdom at this time. And the Lord wants to expand your influence. He wants to expand your holdings in the kingdom. And so we want to talk about that this morning. So let me just read you a few things, and then uh, we're going to get into doing a deep dive on this whole idea of dealing with familiar spirits and kind of root this in Scripture. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I ask that you'd anoint us this morning, Lord, to hear and to speak. Father, I ask for revelation. We thank you, Lord, that Paul himself wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a prayer that we can agree with. He asked that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Lord, we know if Paul wrote that and prayed that under your inspiration, it first means that we're not guaranteed to walk in it, but that we have to ask for it like Paul did. And so, Lord, we ask for that this morning, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of our understanding, and Lord, I ask that you would break off the limitations that keep us from all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm trying to figure out where to jump in here. Let me read this. 
Prophecy is an announcement of transition. When you get a prophetic word from the Lord, it's announcing a transition that you're coming into. It calls us both to things we have greatly desired, but also things we will be greatly uncomfortable with. Let me say it again. When you get a prophetic word, it's an announcement of heaven about a transition on your horizon. That God's going to bring you into new things, and that's why he's announcing them. The, the Greek word prophecy, the, the, uh, the, the Greek derivative is prophemi. It means to have light in advance. And God's giving you an indication of what he's going to break you into. And it awakens this desire. It makes you aware of the things you've been hungry for. So it calls us into things we have greatly desired, but also things we will be greatly uncomfortable with. And that is one of the reasons of prophecy, because you're going to need to know as you break into the uncomfortable new that this is God. Just because it's good and even desired doesn't guarantee that you will go with it. Just because something's good and you desire it doesn't mean that you will cooperate with it once you get into it. Why? Because in the midst of the process of transition, we are still vulnerable to our own insecurities and the self-sabotage that flows from them. So as God moves us into the future, it awakens our insecurities. We've been talking about this, that at the threshold of your future lie your insecurities. And you've got to face them to get into what God's called you to. And we never outgrow that this side of heaven. He's taking us from glory to glory. And to get into the glory, you've got to deal with the gory. <laughs> you've got to deal with the inhibitions of the new. So in the midst of the process of transition, we still are vulnerable to our own insecurities and the self-sabotage that flows from them. This often overlooked reality must be contended with. God knows how to strip us of the comfort, of our comfort to produce change. God will make you uncomfortable so that you're willing to move on. You know, the way that eagles are taught to fly, when a little eaglet is born and gets out of its egg, it has this fluffy little feathery nest. Well, it's not little. It's a big old feathery nest it sits in. But when it comes time for that eaglet to fly, what the mother does is it begins to take out the feathers. So all of a sudden, it's sitting on some uncomfortable sticks. And then, you know what the mom will do? It'll take that little bird by the nap of the neck and throw it out. And the little eaglet's, ah! flying down and just plummeting to the ground and just before it crashes the mother will swoop under it and catch it and then fly it back up and do it again and do it again the idea is that the mother will make what was once comfortable so uncomfortable that they would rather take to the sky than stick than live in the pointed sticks and God deals with us in much the same way what was once comfortable, God will make uncomfortable to provoke growth in our life. So God leverages our desire to resolve the dissonance in our life to move us into our future. To God, God, there, is a, there is a dissonance between what we want 
and the uncomfortable feeling that we get when we step into it. This discomfort is also leveraged by the enemy to cause us to retreat and go back to our previous reality. This latter reality explains why people can break into greater things, revival, health, even healing, only to later renounce it and buy into the lies with discount, discount their experience and allow them to go back to what they used to have. Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, someone have legitimate encounters with God. I've even seen people receive a healing and then lose that healing and discount what, what happened in their life. I've seen them do things that they couldn't do before and then later renounce that. Well, that was just emotion. Because in order to break into that healing meant they had to give up some things. It's a sobering thing. And don't buy into the lie that you are not capable of that. Every one of us is. And so God wants to leverage the discomfort to get you to move into the future. Because what you step into will always feel uncomfortable. Let me see here. Discomfort, feeling out of place, is the primary indication that you are in transition. By the way, I, I would like to find a better word because this word has been robbed for gender transition. But we've used this in the kingdom a lot because often in the kingdom God takes us in transition. And there's a reason we use the idea of being in transition. Because we intuitively know transition is a process, it's not an event. It's not, I experienced transition. Yesterday I was in one place spiritually and now I'm in another place. No, there's a transition that we're in and what that entails is God calls, it often is initiated by the word of the Lord. That word of the Lord awakens desire within you but as that word begins to call you into the future, as you step into it, all of a sudden it's an uncomfortable new. And the danger is that a lot of people will give up the uncomfortable new and go back, to, or the, com the uncomfortable new to go back to the comfortable old. The preferable future, which is uncomfortable, will be forfeited to go back to the unpreferable but comfortable old. Because they don't want to deal with the, that discomfort and their own insecurities. And so what happens is the word of the Lord initiates this thing, calls us into it, but when we first step into it, the overwhelm we feel is one of the primary indications. Oh, I'm in transition. Because I feel like I live in a bigger container and this is very uncomfortable. There's been a mistake made. I need to go back. And the enemy tries to leverage it to cause us to go back. And God tries to leverage it to speed up the process so that we own it and we learn to occupy the new reality that we have. And so we need to understand that discomfort is, a, is part of the transition that God walks us through. Transition requires not only those, well, we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, discomfort, feeling out of place, is the primary indication that we're in transition, that God is moving us from one glory to another. In those seasons, we have a choice. Go back or push through until we become comfortable, until we feel like the new reality fits. God leverages our motivation to bring resolution to the tension, and so does the enemy. You can actually resolve the tension initiated by a prophetic word by rejecting that word. 
Let me say it again. You can actually resolve the tension in your soul initiated by the word of the Lord simply by rejecting that word. This happens by rejecting or sabotaging the relationships, opportunities, and environments that word pulls you into. Or we can do it God's way and resolve that tension by staying the course and becoming comfortable in the new territory. But we have to press through. So what does this have to do with familiar spirits? Familiar spirits camp at the boundary lines of transition. Familiar spirits, the, the, what the King James Version calls familiar spirits, the NIV will often translate as the word medium. It's, it's an interesting thing because it's talking, it, what it's referring to is often someone who communicates with the dead. The Hebrew word is ob, O-B. But the root word is ab, A-W-B, which is where we get the word father. It, it has to do with the idea of father. But this word father, which, from which we get that word ab, which means the communication with the dead, is also a word used for the realm of the dead. And so what it is, it's the idea of somebody communicating with the dead. So now what does all this have to do with familiar spirits? And why do we translate it familiar spirits? With the, with the Spanish word is familia. It's the same root word. It, it's a spirit that will traffic in family lines. You see, if you think about it, when somebody is trying to communicate with the dead, a medium, what they're trying to do is give voice to the previous generations. They're trying to give the, those that have gone beyond the grave continuing influence in our life. That's the idea. And that can happen through a spirit even when the, your family is still alive. What am I talking about? I, I, I was thinking about this. I, I remembered this young man that I was counseling. He, he had fallen into homosexuality and uh, was just living a life of homosexuality but really wanted to get free and uh, had met the Lord, was raised in church, but it was a church with cultic overtones. I'm not gonna go into what denominational affiliation, but they had some very legalistic tendencies in that church, and as we talked, he told me, he said, I recognize that I need to renounce some of these beliefs. He said, I recognize it. It's, I don't find that in Scripture as he began to pursue the Lord. But he refused to do so because of his desire not to displease his mother. And as we would talk, I finally said to him, I said, sometimes when I'm talking to you, I feel like your mother's present. And he said, I feel my mother always over my shoulder. Every decision I make is made through the lens of what will my mother think. He was so tied to her that this was a controlling factor. I'm telling you, that is a familiar spirit. I'll see, I see other families where there's this, almost this idolatry of the previous generations. In some Asian cultures, there's what's called ancestry worship. And it's this deification of what's gone before. And when we get into that, we've got to be careful because part of, part of breaking free from familiar spirits is that we, we call a spade a spade in our family line. We've got to recognize the dysfunction and call it that. And when it's really healthy, you can have a conversation with the previous generations about that dysfunction. 
I want my kids to be able to talk about those things with me. I remember one time, Pastor John Downs came to my office. He said, hey, Pastor, I just need to share something with you. He said, uh, your son Noah raised his hand in children's church and asked for prayer for you and Kathy. And he said, you guys are arguing a lot. And I was a little embarrassed, you know. And uh, he said, you know, he asked, and he said, I just thought you'd want to know. I said, man, I appreciate it, John. You know what I said to Noah? Nothing. Because the last thing my little boy needed to hear was me telling him to stuff what his mom and I were going through. He needed the freedom to give prayer requests. That was our stuff, not his stuff. And I didn't need to give him this byline of the dysfunctional home. What goes on here stays here. Because that is one of the surefire signs that there's something really unhealthy going on in the home. My kids need to be able to say, hey, pray for my family. And that alone was motivation, Kath. I need to be more humble with you and talk with you. you know, I don't want my son to have to go to church, children's church and have a prayer request about his dad being a jerk. It was a hard season we were going through. We need to be able to call a spade a spade. And this, there, some families will get into this thing that, and especially after they die, all of a sudden those family members could do no wrong. And there's this juxtaposition, there's this tension we live in. We want to honor our forefathers, but we also need to call a spade a spade. Because what you won't name, you will live out. If you won't, if you won't point that out as the dysfunction that it was, if you're not willing to say, hey, that was wrong, that was unhealthy, we're not going to replicate this behavior in the future generations. If you're not willing to part with that, you will reproduce that in the future generations. And so we've got to have this healthy tension of being able to acknowledge what was wrong while honoring those people that probably did it with a good heart. And I want my kids to be able to be very honest about what, I, I tell you, it's, I'm getting to that age now where we'll have those uncomfortable conversations around the dinner table where they're laughing, yeah, dad, remember when you did this? And I'm like, oh man. Do you talk with this about, about this to people? It's so embarrassing. What was it they were telling me the other day? When American Idol first came out, I wouldn't let them watch it because it had the word idol in it. <laughs> and I think maybe, okay, I, I, was a, I was a little bit of a legalist when they were little, okay? There were some other things. It's, it's embarrassing, but I'm glad that they can recognize it for what it is and move on. So we've got to be able to point these things out. Oh my goodness, I got 20 minutes. I'm gonna have to jump down here. Let, let me read through a couple things. Here, that, uh, familiar spirits feel familiar. Duh. It is usually not a pleasant familiarity, but it is familiar nonetheless. It is its lure. That is its lure. We already feel prepared for the familiar. The irony is that many of us choose the unpleasant familiar over the pleasant new. This is because the new requires new responses, provokes feelings of inadequacies. We must use emotional and relational muscles we've never used before. The pleasant new requires growth, while the unpleasant old demands nothing except the rejection of the truth. 
If we buy into the lie that comfort is a sign of favor, if we believe the satanic myth that comfort is the goal of the Christian life, then we will find ourselves resisting God's work to bring us into greater glory. The human capacity for self-deception is stunning. We have the ability to concoct evidence to back, to back mindsets of unbelief and acts of disobedience. Familiar spirits conspire to pull you back into your past, your previous assignment. They are fine with you stewarding yesterday's promotion as long as they can keep you from today's and tomorrow's. You see, the enemy's willing to sign a ceasefire, a treaty with you. If you say, I, you know what, I won't go after any more if you'll just let me have what I'll have. And the enemy's willing to enter into that deal with you. But as soon as you step out of the familiar, you're going to provoke familiar spirits that are going to be provoked out of hiding and try to keep you stuck. Familiar spirits conspire to pull you back into your past, your previous assignment. The enemy will cut a deal with you. If you can keep what you, can keep what you have broken into thus far, what you have already learned to steward as long as you quit moving for more. Familiar spirits are stirred out of hiding during times of promotion and transition. They are vested in the familiar, the status quo. They traffic in the familiar, are vested in the familiar, and are disrupted and driven out by change. That is precisely why Jesus said evil spirits will return to the previous house to see if they can re-enter. That word again, house, is oikos. It literally means relational spheres. It, it does mean a physical house, but it also means a home and a family and relationships. And so the enemy will come and look into your relationships and see if there's a familiar in, uh, way to get back into those relationships. There is, change will demand both, or change will bring both inward pressure Internal pressure and external pressure. Your internal pressure is those feelings of inadequacies like, I'm not up to this. God will always call you into something you're, feel, you're not feeling up to. And if, matter of fact, if you're not feeling challenged, like you are up to what God's called you into, it probably isn't God calling you into it. It's probably your own mind convincing you that you can just stay where you're at. God will always call you into something greater than you are, and you'll have to grow into it. The inward pressure is those feelings of inadequacy. The external pressure and tension that you're feeling is the relationships around you placing the old expectations upon you. Your present relationships are in agreement with where you've been. That's why they're hanging with you. But they may not be in agreement with where you're going. And that's going to create a tension. And you've got to stay the course until they accommodate the new you or transition hasn't been completed. I hope that makes sense. A familiar spirit feeds off the familiar. They desire to remain undercover but will rear their head to trigger old patterns, pulling us back into old behavior. Their exposure often marks the evil day Paul spoke of in Ephesians 6. A familiar spirit also combats the new opportunities by bringing up old feelings. The feelings that were once legit are no longer because you are different. You've outgrown them. You have been prepared for your present in the past when those feelings used to be legitimate. But now that you are in your present, your past feelings are no longer relevant. 
(laughs) A familiar spirit attempts to tie you to your past. It attempts to convince you that you are what you used to be, still unqualified for what you once were before you became qualified for what you are. I, 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 okay? A familiar spirit attempts to convince you that you can only handle what is familiar. The unfamiliar is rejected, met with familiar feelings of overwhelm, and this is, okay, yeah. Familiar spirits attempt to limit you to the familiar. Okay, let me say it one more way. Familiar spirits pull you back to your past, the familiar. They hold you back from your future, the unfamiliar. They attempt to drop old feelings on new situations in order to pass, pull you back into the immaturity of your past. The feelings that were once are, the, these feelings are at once illogical yet familiar, unwarranted yet seemingly convincing. They look for an inroad in some familiar circumstance. Okay, so let me give you five points in 15 minutes. Or six points, uh uh-oh. Six points of familiar spirits. Number one, they're connected to past familiarity, to the iniquitous patterns of your previous life and family line. And so there there are iniquitous patterns of behavior in our family line that we were raised in. It was our point of reference. And they're triggered. They, they cause us to feel comfortable and familiar with that. They settle into your patterns and lie undisturbed until you begin to challenge those patterns of belief and behavior. Let me say it again. They settle into your patterns and lie undisturbed until you begin to challenge those patterns of unbelief and behavior. And that's when they're stirred up. They're all of a sudden you're provoked and you feel this agitation. And there's these feelings of overwhelm and, and they'll try to provoke you into past behavior. And you've got to stay the course. I remember a young man was praying for at Teen Challenge. I don't remember what provoked that, but it was always being provoked there because it was a place of radical change. And uh, this young man, as we were, as I was counseling him, we got into this conversation. He began to, uh, in a low-level way, manifest a demon, and I could see it. And so I began to probe and begin to ask him questions, and uh, he said, I, I was talking to him about his family line, and he began to talk to me about his gypsy grandmother who was into witchcraft. And he was telling me about how when he had a little pet rabbit that died, and she did some incantation and raised his pet rabbit from the dead. And he, as we were talking, he said, I still feel my grandmother's presence with me all the time. And that was it. So I said, you know what? That is not your grandmother. That's a demon. That is a familiar spirit. It was on your grandmother. It was the witchcraft, the occult spirit she operated in. And that's what you're feeling. And there was an affection for that spirit, that familiar family spirit, because it reminded him of his grandmother who he loved. And I'm sure loved him. And so this transference of this spirit on her was on him. And he didn't want to renounce it, even though as we talked, he recognized, oh, this isn't good. This is a demon. But there was this battle within his soul because in order to get free from that demon, in order to renounce the demon, he was going to say goodbye to that familiar presence that was on his grandmother. And I remember finally he said, okay, and he said a prayer of renunciation. And it was amazing because I remember the vivid difference on his countenance. He physically looked different. There was a brightness that came on. He looked, he looked physically different. It wasn't that there was some dramatic uh, 
you know, thing that he fell on the floor and slithered like a snake or anything, but there was such a dramatic, different look on his face when he renounced that familiar spirit. Now, that is an obvious one because it was an occult practice. But I would propose to you there are much more subtle forms of that that enter into believers' lives. And when faced with the truth, often they don't want to break with it because they feel this sense of disloyalty to their family line. I have seen spirit-filled believers defend sinful behavior in their family. And they'd get angry and defend it. And, I mean, they, they, and their family was the exception to the rule. They would recognize that behavior for the sinful practice that it was and any other person except their family. And they're giving room to the enemy. That's a familiar spirit. Number two, familiar spirits attempt to limit you to past victories and no more. We already talked about that. They're willing to enter a ceasefire as long as you remain within the boundary lines of past victories and agree not to fight for any more ground. Number three, they attempt to create the familiar with new scenarios in order to produce the, the old patterns of your past behavior. They attempt to create the familiar within new scenarios. So they're always looking in your life how to inject these old feelings to pull you back and bring that mindset. Number four, familiar spirits are connected to the patterns of your family, the ways in which you were raised. Now, it may not even be a biological family. It might just be the way you were raised by you know, the, the, the people you're around. Matter of fact, you can pick up familiar spirits from the people you were discipled by. Yeah, that's not a pleasant one. Glad we have a few more minutes to dig out of that one. That would be a bummer to end on. Okay. Familiar spirits are connected to the patterns of your family, the ways in which you were raised. Now listen to this. It has both a psychological and a sociological component to it. Now we understand, okay, familiar spirits. There is, there is a spiritual element to this thing. And we can rebuke those spirits but if we don't deal with the underlying patterns of behavior, both psychological and sociological, what do I mean by that? Psychologically, I'm talking about your own thinking patterns, the way you interact with yourself, your, your, your thoughts and your belief systems. Because when you believe wrong, you will behave wrong and you give the enemy legal access. And if the enemy can lead you into these wrong belief systems, wrong believing will cause wrong feelings. The reason... Who was it? Uh, I forget the guy's name. He said it this way. If what you believe is not truth, what you feel is not reality. If what you believe is not truth, what you feel is not reality. And so we've got to be renewed, transformed in the renewal of our mind. We've got to begin to see the truth. So there's this psychological component to Familiar spirits. But there's also a sociological or relational. How do we relate with people? How, and we've been talking about this. We need to go from our personal transformation to our relational transformation. I can have a tremendous encounter with God in the morning and be transformed. But I'm going to take that tr personal transformation and plug it into my family system back home. And if I don't hold the line, if I don't show up different, and everybody else begins to accommodate the new me, then that thing will not last. It will be an experience and not a transformation. 
It'll be an event, some testimony. Oh, I had a great encounter with the Lord. What did it do? Well, it just gave me a testimony to talk about. I had a great encounter with the Lord. But it didn't change my life. And so there's a sociological element or relational element when we, these familiar spirits, operate in relationships. And it demands that we take a stand which is going to create relational tension, relational conflict, and when we are changing, I, I've seen it again and again in marriages, in families, when one individual gets, has a radical touch with, from the Lord, all of a sudden it creates relational tension in the home. And it's often the result of the very people that were praying them into that encounter. These people were praying and fasting, oh God, give them an encounter. They have one and they bring their new transformed identity into that family element and everybody else is treating them like they're the old one and resisting that change and it creates tension. And they've got to ride through that and see it through and not succumb to the old patterns to make peace. And it's not true transformation unless they do. So there's a relational, sociological element to this thing that we've got to realize. It's not just, oh, I, I prayed a prayer. That's the event. The process is living that out in your relationships, that I'm going to hold the line. Let's just get real practical. If you are a compromising believer, that goes to church but doesn't live like it at work, if you're the one telling the filthy jokes, if you're the one with the lack of integrity on the job, and one Sunday you get zapped by the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden he cleans up your mind, your language, and your behavior, and all of a sudden you're the man that's walking with integrity on the job, I guarantee you there will be conflict as a result of that. And the true test of your encounter will be how you show up at work over the next few months. And that encounter hasn't really been established in your life until all the other guys on the job ex begin to expect the new you. That they don't, they don't expect you to partake of those types of jokes and those stories and having a lack of integrity and cheating your boss anymore. That's where, it's, that's where the rubber meets the road. Oh my goodness, I got five minutes left. I shouldn't call attention to that. Familiar spirits are connected to the patterns of your family, the way in which you were raised. It has both a psychological and a sociological component to it. Familiar spirits attempt to leverage the way you were raised against you, highlighting the unhealthy elements of your original home. They try to pull you into that. Now, there's even a hyper, a hyper version of this called transference. Transference is a psychological profile with a spiritual component. People will be diagnosed with transference, but we need to realize transference happens all the time to varying degrees. And we need to recognize that we're capable of this because it can cause tremendous harm. In transference, it's a familiar spirit which attempts to cause great harm. It projects past pain onto present relationships. It replicates the broken relationships of the past by projecting those sins onto others in our present. Psychologically, it is your mind's attempt to resolve past conflicts through present relationships. 
spiritually, it is a spirit of accusation which is leveraging your pain to mercilessly accuse those around you. The apologies of the accused are never enough because it is actually not about their behavior. It's about the painful behavior you were the victim of by some past abuser. So the present person can apologize, but it's not enough. This creates tremendous confusion and pain for all involved. We need to be aware of that. Transference is a, a diabolical strategy of the enemy. Now the fact is God will lead all of us into relationships today in which we work out the pain of a past relationship we didn't have resolution in. And that's healthy, that's good. That's why God sets the lonely in families so we can begin to work through our past pain in healthy relationships. But we need to be careful because we can begin to actually project and identify those people in our present by those past people. And when we do that, we lose perspective. And there's this accusation that begins to come through us. And if you're ever the victim of that, you've got to be careful because on the front end, it often happens to sincere people that are really wanting to help. And so they begin by apologizing for things, which is the godly thing to do. But you continue to apologize and pretty soon you're taking responsibility for things that weren't your fault. And by the time you realize what's going on, you have reinforced the lie of the enemy by validating their feelings apologizing for things that weren't you in the first place. And so we've got to have the wisdom of God. And often those who counsel and minister and help people, they fall into, they are a sitting duck for that kind of thing. Often it will start with you being idealized. That, oh man, you are the answer to my prayers. I finally have a, a father or a, a spiritual mother or a counselor or a pastor or a teacher or a friend that understands me. And it's like you can do no wrong. And that is the first sign. Run! <laughs> Begin to have your eyes open that you could be falling into this thing. And psychologists talk about transference. It's a, it's a dicey thing. And there's, there are spirits, familiar spirits that are involved. So, what do we do? Listen to what Leviticus Chapter 19 says, do not turn to those with a familiar spirit or seek out spiritists, for they, you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. Most people read that passage and think, what in the world do those two things have to get, do together? That's like a, a fourth grader's Letter from camp, went swimming, need money, love, son. You know, it's like kind of squirrel all over the place. But there is a connection between this. Listen to what he says. Do not turn to those with a familiar spirit or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Don't allow yourself to come under the negative counsel and spiritual overtones of those iniquitous patterns in the family line. But then he says, stand up in the presence of the aged and show respect for your elder, for the elderly and revere your God. It's that tension of, of honoring our forefathers, honoring our parents. I tell you, one of the hardest things for me when I got saved, when I got saved, as most of you know, I was a homeless alcoholic. 
And I was raised in a very wonderful, godly home. I was never abused. I was loved. I was taken to church. Uh, You know, my mom and dad are phenomenal believers. And when I got saved, they were the ones that prayed me in. And I walked with the Lord a number of years, and I began to have to work through some things, and I began to recognize there were some unhealthy things in the belief system of my family. My dad and I have talked about it many times, my mom and I, mostly my dad and I, because we talk theology. But we've talked a lot about these things. But for me to come to terms with that was very hard because I felt so disloyal. I felt, who do I think I am? The very people that love me through all my garbage and prayed me in, now I'm going to turn around and say, you know, this was kind of unhealthy. But I had to come to that place because until I recognized it and called it for what it was, I was destined to replicate that in my family. And God wants all of our families to go from glory to glory. I'm, I'm believing that what, I, what I've come out of, that my dad will say, man, you kids are so much farther than I was. And I'm, I want, I'm believing that for my kids, that my kids are going to go farther. And that through the generations, we're going to go from glory to glory. But what that means is that we don't just confront through a prayer this thing called a familiar spirit. We begin to break up the concrete highways through which they enter. Those beliefs about ourselves, those internal belief systems, and those relational dysfunctions that the enemy encroaches and tries to get his hands in and replicate the past and keep us in tied to our past and from our future. Amen? Amen. Does it make sense? I hope so, because I can't be any more clear. So why don't you go ahead and stand? Hallelujah. I want to pray for you this morning. Lord, we just ask that you would enlighten our minds, that you would open the eyes of our understanding and the knowledge of you, Lord. And God, I ask that you would help us to Begin to recognize, Lord, both the honorable and the dysfunctional in our family lines. God, we want to be those that honor. And we, Lord, like the the righteous sons of Noah, we back in backwards and cover the nakedness of our forefathers. But Lord, we also don't want to become victim of the unhealthy patterns that they had in their life. So Lord, we ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding. And Lord, during this time of global upheaval, Father, I pray that you'd make us familiar with discomfort. Lord, that we would embrace this and that you truly would take us from glory to glory. Don't let anything hold us back, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.